Welcome to Our Certain Point of View, where your hosts, Jim and Tim, will bring you newly, weekly discussions about the Star Wars universe. Our Certain Point of View is a fan-based podcast and has no connections with Disney, Lucasfilm, or any of their subsidiaries. And we're on, so let me find, welcome to, well, what's the name of our podcast? Our Certain Point of View with... Me, Jim, and Tim. Tim. All right. Today's episode is called Star Wars, A New Podcast. And for the sake of our countdowns, we probably should say what the date is. We're recording on Thursday, September 19th. Um, what would you like to say, Tim? We got a little intro here we should get through. Yeah, there's a few things we wanted to talk about uh, as, we're, as we're continuing through these episodes. Each of our episodes for a long while, we'll include a discussion of The Mandalorian. Uh, pieces that we want to talk about, new information, news, um, other things you'll find out a little later in this episode. Uh, they'll happen toward the end of the episode. And once The Mandalorian is actually released and we start watching episodes, we're gonna real have a real quick turnaround on... Recaps. Recaps. Heck yeah. So like, I'd actually like to do maybe even a walkthrough of each episode after it happens. Um, they're slated, well, we're going to talk about Mandalorian more in a little bit. Today, though, the focus of our podcast is what, Tim? Today we're going to talk about A New Hope. A New Hope, also known as Episode 4. But originally just simply known as... Star Wars. Yep, so when this came out in 1977, uh, the title A New Hope was not actually added, I think, until the 81 release, if I remember correctly. So, Star Wars, A New Hope, whatever you know it by, it's the original Star Wars, the classic, what started it all off. But first we're going to do some countdowns, so again, today being the 19th of September, when does Disney Plus come out, Tim? Disney Plus comes out still November 12th, it is 54 days away. 54 days, which also means 50, what, till The Mandalorian? 54 days as well. Now, is that Tuesday, November 12th? It is. It will be a Tuesday release for everything. Nice. Um, and then after that, we have The Rise of Skywalker. How many days? 91 days. 90 for days for us. Ah, I'm going to keep doing that. So that'll be December... December 19th. 19th. That's a Thursday. For Thursday for us. Clone Wars Season 7 is slated to come out when? Uh, sometime in February of 2020. So to, to make things... Well, so I don't get my hopes up. I've set it for the end of February at 163 days, and hopefully it'll come out sometime before that. Is 2020 a leap year? Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. So 163 days to the leap year day. Um, Star Wars Day. Oh, you added this. This is new. So we're going to celebrate a little May the 4th. How far are we from May the 4th? 228 days from Star Wars Day. Outstanding. Star Wars Celebration, which will be in Anaheim, California this year, if I believe I remember correctly, is that right? Absolutely. August 27th through the 30th. Nice. That sounds like about 343 days. Am am I guessing right? Almost exactly right on. Almost. (laughs) Okay. What's Only One Cannoli? So the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Only One Cannoli? Only One Cannoli. Look it up. As slated to come out sometime, but they don't have any kind of release yet, so we're just waiting. But we're going to talk about it every time and say, hey. We think it's coming. 
only one can know Obi-Wan being, of course, one of the most magnificent Jedis and characters of the Star Wars universe. Uh, very excited that, about anything. But today, our podcast is appropriately going to be titled Star Wars, A New Podcast. Ah, that's a double meaning. It's only our second episode, and we're going to be discussing A New Hope. So in the future, we would like to maybe do walkthroughs of the movies, but today we're just going to kind of talk about the movie and uh, some personal uh, perspectives on different aspects of the movie. So we want to start with our personal rankings on this. Now, Tim, you mentioned in our first podcast where you placed it. Can you go over that again for us? Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope is my favorite of the movies. Number one, huh? Number one for me. Uh, it Why? Is, it's, it's my go-to. Uh, Star Wars Episode Four has good versus evil. Star Wars Episode Four has an introduction to the Force, an introduction to lightsabers, and just seeing all of that happen and knowing where it goes from Episode Four. When I s need to sit down and see Star Wars, my first go-to is always that. Sometimes I make a decision to watch other things, but initially that's where I go. I can definitely agree with that. It's I, I rank it second. I said last time that Empire is my favorite, it, and it is. Um, but that is really kind of a hard call because, uh, yeah, New Hope has a lot of emotional value in that it was the very first Star Wars movie. When I think about my childhood, I can't help but think about uh, that movie. I remember me and my friend David uh, playing out in the neighbor's yard that their um, back patio was the detention center and pretending to shoot out the grill and jump into the garbage chute. That was a good time, so definitely one of the better, or one of the, well, hard to say but Empire's best in my point of view Star Wars pretty close and I, I will always call it Star Wars so if I don't say a new hope or episode four if I say Star Wars I'm talking about a new hope so last time we talked about the first time we saw the movie and I just kind of was hitting on it now um, yeah this was a big deal to me I remember driving and my uh, my parents had just got a brand new 1977 Monte Carlo bought it right off the lot and we drove to the theater, um, and I remember driving back, and it, I just my, I was just amazed at this the concept of a universe that this opened up. One of the things I think that Star Wars really pushed more than any other movie from its time period was uh, its visual effects, and I think it was the first time we really go into a science fiction movie, and uh, or at least a, a space-based one, and space looks real and the spaceships look real all of it looks so so real none of it looked uh, like you know them dangling a model with a string um the inside of the millennium falcon looks like a place where people actually lived and worked it was so well done and uh so that was the first time i saw it and i mentioned in the first podcast that my my mom had even ordered me a lightsaber um whenever they wanted to know what i wanted for birthday or christmas it was always star wars toys and I wish I still had all of those toys today. I don't think I have any of my original Star Wars toys. My brother went through my parents' uh, attic and threw them away. What do you think about that, Tom? That's a lot of stuff. I know some, some similar stories from people that I met with and talked to with, the, with comic books and toys and other things where, I mean, I know one specific story that was well, my son's in the military now. He no longer needs these picture books. And oh. Oh, I had the outside of our too. podcast, but this was first issue of uh, Spider-Man. 
gone. <laughs> that, wow. That, that's so. sad. So what was the first time you saw the movie you mentioned last time that they re-released them in theaters, I think? Yeah, and I, uh, and I had seen it um, at that point. We'd started to get into it prior to the, to the re-release, and I, I did get to see it, like I said, before I finished episode five, um, which was a blessing for me and, and my watching order. Uh, but I think a group of us got together and just bought the VHS tape when it was starting to come back and watched it that way. And then they were re they were released again in the theater, and we all went to see them. Uh, of course, only once, um, which is a lie for hmm. that and every Star Wars movie that's come out since then. Well, I had mentioned earlier, one of the, things, one of the reasons why I think Star Wars resonated, it's... So many people have pointed out it's the classic hero story. It goes all the way back to like ancient Mesopotamia with the Gilgamesh thing about a child being born in an obscure circumstances and turns out they're royalty. You know, we see this throughout Greek mythology. It's the hero epic as well. I think what they call it in literature. So the story devices themselves are not particularly original to Star Wars, but the presentation of them, I think, were, and then the way the force is included. So I want to take a moment and talk about the effects of the movie. Because if you go back and look at any movie from the really late 1970s to before, any of the uh, space-based movies, they're kind of insanely bad. Um, and even my the fantasy movies with the creatures and things. Oh, uh, now I'm thinking about Crawl. Do you remember Crawl? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. They, hey, there's some pretty rough-looking stuff out there. Um, in 1979, there was supposed to be, I think it was by an Italian director, I can't remember his name, there was their uh, answer to Star Wars was a movie called Star Crash. I challenge anyone to go out look it up. There is a uh, full online uh, copy of it at YouTube for free called Star Crash. Watch it. And bear in mind, this was two years after Star Wars. It is extraordinarily bad. Um, it's almost worth watching just to, so you can wrap your head around, okay, Star Wars was extraordinarily good. Uh, the special effects that uh, George Lucas was able to come up with in and of themselves make the movie worth watching. Um, it changed movie industry, I think, in a way kind of similar to what The Matrix does in the 90s. Um, now every time you know with The Matrix, you see the slow motion action scene. Everyone who knows The Matrix will say, okay, that's, that's The Matrix. Uh, really, we should be looking at space films kind of in a similar vein, that it's Star Wars that makes them look real. Um, that having been said, they do ignore certain things like gravity and, you know, like space delay as far as uh, communication over, you know, multiple light years. But that's what makes it more in the fantasy genre. But uh, you got anything else you want to talk about effects? Like, what stood out for you with effects in A New Hope? Well, just... It was it was the initial scene when you get there and you're that. in yep. space and you're coming down over a planet, and it looks real. It it looks like what you would want to see or what you would expect to see if you were really there. And even the video technology of the time from the astronauts in space, we weren't seeing that type of thing. Yeah, we were seeing something that was even better. Yeah, when the so when that Corvette, what's the name of the Corvette? The Tantive, Tantive 4. Yeah. Yeah, nailed it. Uh, flies by, and the Star Destroyer comes up behind it. Now, do you know the name of the Star Destroyer? That Star Destroyer is the... We just had this conversation. I, I don't remember. Hmm. 
Uh, there's some good trivia. A second, I'll think about that. You think about that, and I'll talk about it. When those two fly over the screen, and you see the uh, the laser blast being exchanged, it's just so good. And uh, there's one scene where it actually just whites out the screen with one of the blasts, and you just get the sense that it's it's hitting a sh some sort of shield technology. And all this is done with 1977 technology, or really 1976, because it was released in 77. Um, so yeah, I think the movie really did an incredible job. And of course, the battle scene at the end, I mean, we could really spend the next 40 minutes talking about just the effects. Uh, the Millennium Falcon. Oh yeah, the Millennium Falcon. I mean, just an they, iconic ship. And you have, many sci-fi movies have iconic ships. You look at them and you know, this is that movie. And Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, like they're there, Yeah. which is great, but the Millennium Falcon just defines, for me, like personal space travel. Like Definitely that amazing. Is it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tim and I talked about if we ever won the lottery back when it. How much was it? It was like three hundred million dollars or more. We agreed if one of us won, we were going to build a full-scale replica of the uh, Millennium Falcon, and still would be my plan. Absolutely. But. Um, so when the Falcon engages the, uh, the fighters as it's escaping from the Death Star, um, then later you have the attack on the Death Star itself, and they introduce the Y-Wing. Oh, my gosh, I love the Y-Wing. And then that gives, you know, gets more development later where they're like, oh, it's, a, it's an interceptor bomber, and they're actually adding like real, real terms to these types of uh, aircraft. Oh, I love it. So... The effects are obviously beautiful. That actually kind of takes us to the next thing I want to talk about. Uh, certain scenes in this movie that resonate. Um, again, Star Wars A New Hope is an iconic movie. It changes movie industry, creates a multi-billion dollar, heck, we might be in the trillions at this point. Actually, we are in the trillions, I'd imagine, industry when you take into account all the re-releases, all the toys. So what are some of the scenes, do you think, Tim, that really kind of set this movie apart? So uh, there are many many scenes that, that take Star Wars this movie for me just by itself um, the trash compactor scene the introduction of Luke and Obi-Wan of course the attack on the Death Star and those space battles in general right there were were beautiful um, and there are some other scenes once you've seen more of the movie that really stand out too some things that were were always interesting um, and we can get into some character talks if we end up with time today, or we can save those for a future podcast if necessary. Well, I'd be um, curious, like, are there any scenes that stand out as far as the content or, like, maybe the way they were directed or filmed uh, as far as the imagery goes? That, the opening sequence is still the, the biggest for me. I've got, I've got two in my head right now. I was and curious if you were going to come up with them first. The attack on the Death Star. Yeah. Um, Locked, uh, and the way they've position. gone and, and flown through that entire area. Oh, yeah. Just the first time you saw that as a kid. So as, those, uh, as the Rebels are coming in on the Death Star, just the way they showed those towers and that trench suddenly lent a scale to the Death Star that made you realize just how massive this thing is. And that was so well done. And as a kid watching it, it just blew my mind, and it really just allowed my imagination to just kind of expand with this idea that this could be built. Um, so that that's definitely a huge scene, the whole attack on the Death Star. And they, they tried that twice, because they did it at the beginning, right? 
when they're bringing the yeah when with the Millennium Falcon, there, right? That's no space station. Yeah, and that that scene almost does it in the way they describe it. But you're right; the real feeling of how massive this thing is comes. Outside of Yavin, it's almost like they're flying through neighborhoods <laughs> with all the little uh, towers on the surface yes. and all that. It's it's wild because you can't even really see the curvature of the surface. The thing's so big that when they get up close, there's like it almost looks flat. And if you guys get the the time, uh, take a look at the people have, have made you know mock-up blueprints of what it's like, and you can look into it and see just what is going on and how the living quarters would have expanded and how big it has to be in order to to do what it does and it's it's really impressive and it is fully shown there that is awesome that yeah the death star is just a masterpiece of fantasy writing but the scenes i was thinking of as far as the visual impact is of course the one where luke finds his aunt and uncle um, and they've been burned. As a child, you know, this hit me big because I think it was probably one of the most graphic scenes I'd seen as a, as a child at, up to that point. And it was so powerful. It came out of nowhere for me. Maybe if I was older, I would have predicted what was going to happen. I probably would have. But I was young enough that, I, you know, nah, yeah, they're going to get away. It's not going to be that bad. And uh, that was just devastating, but it was so beautifully shot, um, you know, in the desert in Tunisia, I think, is or Morocco. Tunisia is where they shot that. And it was just so well done. But on rewatches, the scene that sticks with me sometimes is uh, when they find the Jawas. And uh, Obi-Wan gives his talk about, you know, Imperial stormtroopers did this because you can tell by the precision of their blasting. Um, if you ever notice, uh, C-3PO is just casually taking Jawas and throwing them on the fire. And now every time I watch that movie, that's what I'm watching is C-3PO just picking up a Jawa and tossing it on the fire and then looking at them like, okay, what, what do I do now? What's next? Yeah, I do, I do love seeing that. And I've, I've been through the same experience. That Once seems you notice wild. It, Should we address the Stormtrooper accuracy? I would kind of like to. They are accurate. Well, absolutely. Yeah. So to dispel a common you know, story about the Stormtroopers... They are accurate in every instance except for two. You know which two I'm going to say? One of them's in Star Wars A New Hope, the other one's in Return of the Jedi. Yes. Well. So in A New Hope, yeah. we are aboard the Death Star. Yeah. And the Rebels escape. And or why, the, the, why can't the future they rebels? Them? Why right? can't they hit Luke? And is it because they're that bad at shooting? They're so bad at shooting, and the yeah. right the Empire knows this. They know that the stormtroopers are so bad. They know they're going to keep missing, and that's why they hid a device in the Millennium Falcon to help them track. Exactly. Because they knew they were going to miss. Han Solo course, explains this in the movie, and people are like, "Oh, the stormtroopers are bad shots." They let them get away. They were ordered to let them get away. Princess so, explains it in the movie. Oh, you're right. She says that they let us get away. Han Solo is the one being cocky about not his ship. You're <laughs> not right. Not my ship. Um, but yeah, I found it amazing that people never. They, well, stormtroopers are terrible shots. They were literally told not to hit them. So of course that actually makes them almost good shots to shoot close but not hit. The other time where they are disappointing though, the Battle of Endor. When they can't defeat the Ewoks, okay, that 
that was kind of disturbing. But Hoth, they were amazing. Um, where else do we see the stormtroopers in action? Well, really not much else, do we? Yeah, because uh, now I'm thinking clone troopers are first order, and I don't want to get them confused. I guess first order troops are pretty close to stormtroopers, though. Yeah, I would say they're about the same. Probably continued over or carried over. They're probably some of the same. Obviously, we're, we're later on, but some yeah. of the same lineage and things. But they're you not know, clones, is the bottom line. These are recruits from the Empire. And that makes a difference, right? Um, yeah, the so clones are the best soldiers. Those who argue could, could argue, who does Obi-Wan know as the stormtroopers? Initially, he knows the clone troopers. Yeah. And he's not really around for the stormtroopers. And he knows about them. He knows of them. And, of course, through his, his meditations in the Force, I'm sure he knows. But some of that pinpoint accuracy could have come from that thought. Yeah, maybe, yeah that's a good point. Maybe he's thinking clone troopers. That's but it's still, it's still still valid and, and real. I, I um, think so. And I'd like to come back to that scene while we're here because I think it's interesting. And I've read this, and I'm sure many of you have heard this, but I just love one theory that's out there. And that is that specifically, stormtroopers did not kill his aunt and uncle. So who killed them? The theory is that a I don't think bounty I hunter thing. by Ooh. the name of Bubba Fett was involved. I've heard of this guy. So if you get into the comics, and we'll start talking about the comics. Um, I've got a little segment at the end that we'll talk a little bit. But some of them show you that... Boba Fett and Darth Vader met earlier, and it's possible that he was part of the team sent to track these droids. Does it make sense? That's um, what he does. That would only make sense if Boba Fett had, you know, had a, like a flamethrower built into his armor. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And That's it, kind of a cool idea. It would be interesting if, if Vader was frustrated in the way that Boba Fett handled it and gave him a command in Empire Strikes Back and hunting them down. He says no disintegration. No disintegration. So it's a really interesting theory. Um, this really ties the whole room together. Yeah, I whether like or it. not it's true, I, there's no reason it can or can't be. There's nothing to, if it is true, great. If it's not true, not a huge That's impact. That's fine, uh, So for me. But it's a cool thing to, I, 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 like I live it. with that as truth. You know what? Boba Fett killed Luke's aunt and uncle. There you go. That's canon now. Um, so those were the scenes that really, especially as a small child, they were shocking. Um, and of course, just that setting on Tatooine was so gorgeous. Um, the very controversial scene, controversial because of the reshoot with, uh, with uh, Han Solo. Oh my gosh, what, a, what an injustice. Do you want to talk about that later when we talk about theatrical versus remastered? Because that's probably the biggest sin of all the remastered movies. Yeah, that was that was really, really disappointing. Um, yeah, we can we can come to that. Well, we're gonna I, we can talk a little bit about it now. We can just keep ourselves on Tatooine for a while and keep on with these. So yeah, they go into this bar, and of course that you know you got your Jim Henson uh, aliens in there. It's so well done, um, especially when. Originally, the CGI, I think, really took away from it. The, those actual puppets were amazing. They were convincing. And then you got Greedo, and you meet this guy, Han Solo, and he is just awesome. And the point of his character is that he shoots first. And I think the movie Solo kind of tries to bring that back. Absolutely. And uh, I was glad to see that in Solo. Um, 
Yeah, because that, that remastered stuff was just nonsense. The fact that this guy realizes the stakes without having to have a gun right in his face, without someone having to shoot first, he knows it's kill or be killed, and so he does what he has to do. Um, that's what made his character so powerful the first time you see it. So it's a shame that they took that away. But it was powerful. Again, I, I'm a kid. I'm watching this, and when he fires, I'm like, okay, you know, this is what's at stake here. This guy, he's going to get killed, but he killed first. And then he just casually flips the coin and says, for the mess, uh, for the cleanup. I can't remember the exact line. But um, that was Han Solo. That was amazing. So that, that scene, of course, was, was incredible. And uh, that will come back to haunt us uh, in Return of the Jedi when, uh, well, it's payback time for Han and Jabba. So, <clears throat> I want to talk about one scene that, I'll be honest, doesn't exist. Oh. Uh, not in this movie, anyway. However, I want to give a little preview of, of something that we're going to talk about in a future episode. And it was the original Star Wars radio drama. They went through a series of radio shows and did the entire movie. Um, it was really fun. A lot of the, the cast was there and involved, and... They completed this, and it actually gives some different backstories. It is not canon, um, because there would be dispute with some events in Rogue One. However, some of it is a lot of fun, and just because we're on Tatooine, we're dealing with the Jawas, we're dealing with Luke's aunt and uncle. One piece that's really fun for me is the fact that R2 was able to go along with them, right? So C-3PO was chosen right away because he can speak the binary language of uh, moisture evaporators. But R2 <laughs> wasn't chosen by the uncle. This is the theory, but he's kind of a jerk. Well, it was uh, – he is, but, but R5 <laughs> was taken. Right? Yeah. That yeah. was the original. And what he did they do? He had a bad motivator. He did. <laughs> he did. So they were selling this droid to him with a bad motivator. But did that doesn't seem to make sense. This is their entire – Line of business. Uh, did he have a bad motivator? I don't think so. I don't think he did either. He did at this point. Well, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. Because someone messed it up. What ruined his motivation? That would be R2-D2. That little jerk. Yeah, R2-D2 got him. R2-D2 was, was making sure he got his mission accomplished. And to do that, he knew that he needed to be the only one that was an option to go along with these people. So... Yeah. Of course, according to the uh, prequels, R2 never gets a memory wipe. So does does R2 know who Luke is? I mean, the, the, it's not like the last name's hidden. He knows uh, who Obi-Wan is. He knows what Leia told him. He might know who all of them are. I'd have to sit and think about that a little bit more. But He yeah. knows the home. He knows the moisture farm. He knows all of it. He knows about Bail Organa um, taking in Leia. So he must know who Leia is. Yeah, so I guess he took out R5 because he had a job to do, man. That's right. He's got right. work to do. That's that's a good observation. Yeah, a little character thing. We'll talk about a few of the other character things when we do the, the full breakdown. So you put down a note here about good versus evil. What, what is it you, uh, what do you got on your mind about this? Well, it was just, and you, you had said it before, this is, this is really a good versus evil story. And, you yep. know, there's some, there's some out there who talk about the, the Empire as, as good, and these rebels are just the, you know, this horrible faction. Well, yeah, the Empire them. brought peace and stability to the galaxy. You remember right. what it was like? They brought the entire galaxy under one very strict, serious rule in which 
they just killed people because they were not doing what the Empire wanted. There's some great fan films. There's one out there, uh, shoot, I wish I could remember the name of it, about a stormtrooper going into training. And uh, it definitely is from the perspective that he believes the Empire is the good guys. Um, well, and we'll have to mention some of these. In, uh, yeah. So we'll have to mention this in some of the later podcasts about like some of the good fan films because there are some quality fan films out there. Yeah, absolutely. But so you you're saying the empire's not good. No, the empire really? is not good. The empire is is pure evil. Darth Vader is pure evil. We'll talk more about that when we get to Return of the Jedi. I think uh, the fact that they built a weapon capable of destroying a planet definitely suggests that they're not about surgical strikes. Um, yeah, that's kind of a, a general um, you know kind of punishment for specific crimes. So fear will keep the local systems in line. Fear will keep the lo- and what about the Senate? been disbanded whole thing it's gone so I'm I'm with you on that I didn't actually realize there was a controversy over the Empire being good I know the first order tries to present itself as restoring order I guess that's the name yeah but you know bad guys always think they're the good guys does Palpatine think he's a good guy I don't think he does though Palpatine thinks he is the most powerful and should be the rightful ruler of everything he thinks that everything belongs to him, but not that he's doing good. Palpatine. And is he coming back for Rise of Skywalker? Oh, that'll be interesting to see. One way or another. What they do with that. So good versus evil. Uh, you got light side versus dark side. You know, I think the, uh, the prequels combined with uh, some of the novels and maybe the comic books, you could speak to that more than I could, uh, have really brought some questions about this because I think Qui-Gon Jinn... I think he really adds some questions about whether or not it really is as, as simple as good versus evil when it comes to light and dark. Uh, the witches of uh, Dathomir, I think that they're supposedly dark side users, but I don't think that they're necessarily evil. Um, so that's a good conversation for another side about, uh, I think the force is fairly complex. One of the things that uh, Clone Wars did a really good job with was adding a complexity to that. Um, it's like you have good, evil, but then you have something above all of it. Um, the Altar of Mortis kind of showed that in the um, Clone Wars. But I'm getting very much off topic. But this uh, good versus evil, I like it. It is definitely a, a theme and a struggle throughout uh, all the Star Wars movies about defining good and defining evil. Because, of course, Anakin, he, he didn't think he was a bad guy at first. He didn't. He just he just wanted a girlfriend. Hey, that's that's how like we started. You know, and and well, that'll again when we when we come there, we'll talk more about it because I think that at that point he made the decision. I look forward to a long discussion about Anakin. Uh, I think his conversion in the prequels is not nearly as convincing as his conversion in the Clone Wars, um, which I think added a lot of nuance to uh, to why he would go dark side with the with his relationship with Ahsoka. But we can talk about that more later on. Um, so characters, what do you want to say about characters? Who's your favorite? Who's your least favorite? What do you want to say about characters, Tim? So in this movie, especially for the entire first half of the movie, my, my favorite character is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, nice. And you'll come to find that in future movies, he is, he is one of my favorites um, up there with, with Caleb Doom and, and some others. Qui-Gon Jinn is quickly climbing the ladder for me and, and becoming a very favorite character. Um, but Obi-Wan is, is one of my favorites. And I, as you learn more, 
you know, one of the things that I really love, and this is just a, a reflection of, of what I aspire to personally, is just the fact that he could commit himself not only to the order, but commit himself to becoming a, an alone, just living alone, being a hermit there on Tatooine with little else going on in an effort to wait for Luke to be ready. I mean, that was just a, a, a huge, huge amount of commitment. Um, and really just defines his personality and what he's willing to do to make sure that what he believes is good is kept. I have such mixed feelings on that because on the one hand, that is awesome. He's also one of my favorite characters. He might be my favorite character. But um, it also seems like such a waste of potential because just one of the most incredible Jedi, arguably the best Jedi of all time, to be honest, I think. Um, but when he's in his prime, he sentences himself to kind of the self-exile. Now, what else he could have done, I don't know. I mean, I think he probably chose what he had to choose. But it does seem like such a waste of potential, all of the things that he could have done had he been out, you know, Jedi knighting around. And it makes me, um, it makes me think about the prophecies. You know, we've uh, recently read a book about prophecies. Master and Apprentice. Master and Apprentice. Um, and there's a lot of going on, and we'll get more into that too, but a lot of these prophecies came to pass. And there could have been more. You know, we knew this became a new hope. Um, there may have been other things that we didn't know about, and somehow they had the recognition that there was. This is what needed to happen. You know, Yoda did the same thing. He was arguably the most powerful out there. Yeah. And and he did as well. So it's it's a tough. It really is a tough thing to see. It was, it was similar for me for a long time. These these two very very strong guys are just off not yeah. getting involved, and really they're preparing themselves to to aid and where they know it'll help. I guess I I find Obi Wan more relatable than Yoda. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, were there other characters you want to talk about? Because, I mean, my favorite character from New Hope is Gurindan. Um, I just think he's fascinating. I, I just want to say that name so somebody listening to this will Google it because extra credit if you know who Gurindan is. Who is it? Do you know who he is, Tim? Nice. I did it. I stumped you. He's the guy. He's the spy at Mos Eisley with the goggles and the snout. Ah, the yes. storm His name's Gurindan. Uh, that's, that's an obscure reference. And he's not my favorite character. Um, I don't know. In A New Hope, now, again, I said Obi-Wan's probably one of my favorite, maybe my favorite character of all time. But A New Hope, I think it's Han Solo. Because um, this is a guy who's, he didn't really have any skin in this game at all to start with. I mean, it's not like it, you know, he found his family members out there. Um, but he just, he gets tied up in this. He's this, you know, exactly what George Lucas meant for him to be. He's this kind of swashbuckling type space pirate guy who, you know, now wants to save a princess, and he's just so extraordinarily charming and good at it, and uh, he's more relatable. Luke uh, comes across, no one's probably ever said this, but he comes across a little whiny. A little bit. No one's ever noticed that before. Um, so Han is probably my favorite character in this movie. Um, and, I, and I do love his character and, and what they show him to really be, because he is good. He wants to fight it externally. 
he's very much a judge me by my cover and and this is not my cover you know this you know my cover is is not this this good nice sweet guy it's it's something different but he really is just good hearted well and yeah, Harrison Ford did such a great job portraying a character who has a bad background, but is not necessarily a bad guy. Yeah. Um, so, and the later movies really do a good job of showing how you take a guy like that who's had a rough background, and as a result, it's a little rough around the edges, but you give him a chance to do good, and they, and they take it uh, to the point where he really you know, sacrifices a lot in the later movies. Absolutely. Um, I'd like to, to spin back for a second, and the, the spy, what was his name you said again? Grindon. Grindon. Um, the Empire had these guys out there. There were, there were. Yeah, he was one of a group of spies who were looking for the droids. Yeah, was he a member of the Empire, or was he? I mean, the Empire was was human, right? Yeah, they had a uh, a very strong, um, I guess, prejudice you'd say against any non-human life forms. But they're not evil, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's the debate here? Um, but Grindon, yeah, obviously not a human life form. So he's. He's, he's a spy. So is he likely not part of the Empire? Is he is he a bounty hunter? Uh, I don't think he's a bounty hunter. I think he's just simply a spy, like whatever nuanced difference that is. And we see that w uh, in Empire when they actually outright hire bounty hunters. Um, heck, I think Dengar, how many of them are human? Because I don't think they know whether or not Boba Fett is. Maybe they know he's human. But um, regardless, most of those bounty hunters are not human. And maybe that's why they have to hire them as opposed to use people in their own ranks because they don't have any non-humans in their own ranks. Do they have any? So if they're using these... these what about Thrawn? Thrawn's not human. Thrawn's not human. Thrawn's a special case, though. Yeah. Right, and the Inquisitor, um, they weren't human. At least the main one. Well, yeah, we'll have to think about that. But no, they yeah, we'll definitely... Have a whole, we'll have a whole chat about who these Inquisitors may or may not be. Yeah. We like that a lot. But yeah, clearly they, uh, they prefer humans. But Grendon, uh, no, I mean, I, I can't remember his entire backstory, but he was a spy. I think he was just kind of a low-level nobody that they're like, hey, if you see something, we'll give you, give you some cash. Um, so, or uh, his credits, Empire credits, because Republic credits are no good here. Uh, Watto. Um, all right, so now do you want to go into? You got more characters you want to talk about? Or no, I think when we do the when we do the full walkthrough of Episode Four, I think that'd be a good time for us to to really talk about some of the specific characters and what we what we want to get into with everybody. Because um, there, I mean, we could sit and talk characters all day long, especially with the intro movie and the opening. I want to talk Porkins at least a little bit. Exactly. Do I remember correctly? They told him to eject. Has that ever made sense? <laughs> no, they're not wearing spacesuits. I don't not. know why. So maybe they hated Porkins. So they're like, yeah, eject. Because, ooh, teeny. That would be a terrible way to die. Anyway, all right, so the theatrical versus remastered, a few comments on that. Um, honestly, the... The changes, I think, are a travesty. I don't think they add to the movie at all. In fact, I think they take away from it. I really wish I only owned the original version of the movie. Unfortunately, the version I have is the remastered version because 
for I don't know. Can you still buy the original version? I mean, like yeah. in a modern format, like a streaming or digital format. No, not in the regular way. It is it is difficult to find. Yeah. Because um, I wanted my kids to see, you know, the original, but they didn't. They saw the remastered. And they keep shooting these little rumors out there about Disney I releasing, and then others say there's no way they're going to do it, and reasons that they won't, and you know, lots of things. So it's. We just have to wait and see. It's it could be coming, but I don't know. I I I mean, obviously that'd be a huge moneymaker for them, but that'd be a, I mean, that seems like a no-brainer to me to re release them the way they were. Because I mean, people like me would buy them up in a heartbeat. And there's um, no reason not to have them in a. I mean, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do after the completion of the Skywalker saga. That's we true. have one through nine, and there's a full big box set of one through nine ready to go, especially with Disney Plus coming and so much is gonna be available through their streaming that they're gonna to have to do something to really make that, I don't know, Death Star or Millennium Falcon shaped container that holds all nine of these movies. Whatever they're gonna do, there's gotta be something else that pulls and I'm wondering if it would be something like that. That would, uh, again, I think that's kind of a no brainer. They gotta do it. But um, so I guess for the sake of just setting it down for the record, uh, the big glaring ones, um, shoot, what are the lizard creatures called? The, uh, dewbacks or something like that? That the, uh, oh, the dewbacks, yes. Yeah, yes. that the stormtroopers are riding. <laughs> they, they throw in more of those. They do one scene so close that, you know, with the dewback, you can't even see what's behind it. They have some long legged creature walk across the screen at one point. All this was added in. Um, and it's all distracting. It doesn't help the movie at all. It makes it look fake. But the two biggest, problems and absolute big problems was of course one I've already talked about was Greedo shooting and Han somehow nodding his head fast enough to avoid a laser bolt to the face and what am I going to say what's the second one it is I think it's awful you know what I'm talking about so Han decides to go get the Millennium Falcon ready and there's someone there waiting for him oh yes I do know and it's a weird about. shaped Jabba because, you know, in the original movie, they had, Jabba was a humanoid, was a human. Yeah. And uh, so they had filmed the scene with a person, for those of you who don't know this. Um, so for whatever reason, Lucas decided he wanted that scene back in the movie. So they CGI'd Jabba over a human being. And that's why he looks so weird and why he's so much smaller than he is later. Because all they're, they, they're trying to cover up um, that human without filling up too much of the screen and making it too obvious, I guess, although I thought it was very obvious. I mean, Han steps on Jabba's tail. It's absolutely that insanely was, dumb. That was, that was absurd. Uh, with the character that you find out that he is and the way yeah. that, that goes and, and how big of a gangster he is in the series. It's, it's like it's accidentally, accidentally spitting on Al Capone and all he does is go, oh, oh that was awful. That was just sad. So the remastered is a, is a travesty. Um, if it had come out, like if the original had never come out and that had been the original, I still think it would have been an amazing movie and that would have hit the way it did. But those certainly I don't think add anything. Can you think of anything they added to? Is there any? What about the little circle at the end when the Death Star explodes? That wasn't in the original. Yeah, but even still, I don't know that that, that I don't know adds that to the impact. A, no. Um, you know, I didn't... I didn't hate on uh, Yavin when they saw the X-Wings leaving and you could see them a little bit uh, more I do clearly. Like, actually, that's pretty right? cool. So yeah. that was, 
that was, was something. Better, yeah. That was actually a a remaster, right? It wasn't a remake of a scene. They they kind of upgraded they what was going on there yeah. instead of. So if they had done that with some more of the scenes rather than like just adding all kinds of stuff to yeah, it, it's that like was. They had those Dubecks and cut and paste, and they're just hitting Control P, Control P, Control P, and it's just got silly. Uh, oh well. Yeah. All right, we got. We'd be remiss to talk about Star Wars: A New Hope without including the great work of John Williams. Yes, John Williams, clearly one of the. Uh, um, I think he's one of the great composers of our time. To be honest with you, just beyond just a great, you know, score writer for movies, he's just an incredible composer. Um, and of course, the music is iconic. You know, when you hear anything from Star Wars, you, you immediately recognize it. Oh, and I got to tell you, you hear anything from. And it's and of course it's true of some movies, but there are a lot of movies that you could say, you remember the music in that movie, and people will say no. No. And you can go through a collection of movies that are John Williams music. Raiders and of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Dun, 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 dun. Superman. Oh, E.T. Yeah. The Olympic Fanfare. That's. <laughs> okay. I mean, the stuff that he does is impressive. the stuff that you remember. Most impressive. And, it's it's. Just incredible. He had some hand in uh, some Harry Potter. So he didn't do Rogue One. Did he do all of the other movies? And honestly, it stands out. Rogue One is incredible. I love Rogue One. Yeah, um, but the music stands out as being not as good as the other movies. Um, despite the fact that the writing and all that is, is phenomenal, the acting's phenomenal, the set pieces are, are beautiful, but it does stand out that that the music is just not up to standard when it comes to uh, Star Wars movies. So what's the other one? Is it Solo? He might not have done the mu music for. I'm trying to remember if he did the mu the music for Solo. I don't believe so. But um, I think that was. Oh, that's right, because they had a lot of uh, John William esque type mu music yes. in Solo. Yeah, that was uh, yeah. John Powell. Yeah. Um, and I didn't I didn't have any problems with the music in either no. of those. Um, well, and Rogue One I did a little bit, but not so well. Right, but not and not, not in the same way. And Rogue One was the first one that we didn't have John Williams. It was the first experience going out there, and it was, was different music, so yeah. it was it was off. Um, and I have no problem with John Williams making that decision because I think if he wanted to compose the music for it, he would have been more than welcome to. But he said, you know, I've got nine movies and all of these others that I do. <laughs> when I'm not doing Star Wars. He's gotta um, be getting up there in age. He kept there with his, uh, with his saga, but he did have some, he had some hand in the solo movie. Um, and I don't remember all the specifics, I'd have to look back and see everything. All right, well, I think we can wrap up our New Hope talk. Let's, uh, but every podcast, we wanna talk a little bit about The Mandalorian. In fact, like we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, that would kind of, we're hoping that's going to be the focus when the new season starts, that we can do recaps of the episodes and talk about what they mean or what they add to the universe. Um, but my question for you, Tim, and uh, i got to admit I've asked them this before, but it's an interesting question. So when you find out this is coming out on a streaming service, I was wondering, is this going to do a season dump like uh, Netflix does with its shows, or are they going to do it uh, weekly? And what did they say, Tim? Well... This is according to IMDb. Uh, right now, they have episode one listed as coming out November 12th, and episode two is listed as coming out November 19th. Now, that's all nice. the information we have. 
is what I got from there. And I'm really, really personally hoping that that is the true release. Um, I, I hope so, because as a podcaster, that would be awesome for us. That would make it a lot easier. Um, otherwise, you're going to miss that episode, right, that, that week from us, because we're going to call off work and watch all of these for the Heck whole yeah. way through. Plus, um, I like the idea of uh, releasing one, one podcast per week, you know. Absolutely. And, and keeping it in connection with the uh, – correlating with the um, release of The Mandalorian. Well, and I, and I personally feel like I don't get the specifics – from some of those Netflix originals, when yeah, when you watch the whole thing, when you and watch it all yep. like that, you lose a lot because when you have a weekly release, you get to watch it, you get to discuss it with the people you know, yep. and who else you know they've watched it as well. We will of course discuss that and share that with you, and well, and you really dig into it, and then when you come back the next time, you have a full understanding of that previous episode, and you watch the next episode, and it all fits. Um, otherwise. You're really just like watching an eight-hour movie, and that's a long time, and you miss a lot of details. Like when you really yep. binge-watch shows like that, it, yeah. I feel like a lot of the details go away. One of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast was because I do that with TV shows. So some of my favorite shows, like, uh, I don't know, like Westworld. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm afraid to say it, but Walking Dead. Because the first three seasons of Walking Dead are amazing TV. But I got hooked on podcasts about those uh about those shows so I'd watch the show Westworld this was particularly good about because that show has so much depth to it uh, I'd watch the show then I'd listen to podcasts about it and I'd be given a week to kind of process what I'd seen so we're hoping to do the same thing with Mandalorian and this allows the writing to really uh, I think get the credit it deserves to really get the attention it deserves um, what else about the Mandalorian Tim well there have been some some rumors flying around that we may see some new and interesting characters come out of this. Oh, yeah. Um, there aren't a whole lot of specifics yet. From my understanding, and you can you can look up the interview, but... Name drop. Um, the rumors are that there could be a Thrawn, <gasps> first live-action Thrawn. He's not human. Possibly, no, he's not human. <laughs> uh, possibly Mara Jade. Ooh. Yeah, and, and we haven't seen her in canon. No. At this point. And Thrawn we've seen... So Mara um, Jade, that was, uh, she was Luke's love interest in the novels, right? Yeah, in the, in the Legends novel, she was the love interest. So it would be interesting. And the way that I read the interview, um, I took this as, yes, any characters available to us, and we can release them you know, as we see fit if we want to tie them into the universe in a new way. But I feel like he didn't say yes, I'll be releasing those characters or that those characters will appear. It was, he did say he wanted a Star Wars series that would fit the needs of everyone. This is John Favreau. Yes. So we were talking about that. Is, uh, I think, did you look this up? Who, is he credited as the writer for the Mandalorian episode one? He is. Okay. And I was thinking, I, now I'm not a lawyer, but uh, my understanding of the way Hollywood works is that whoever's cre credited as the writer on a show, if there are new characters introduced, then whenever those characters show up later on, I think that writer is owed some royalties. So like if you showed like Luke Skywalker, that's not technically a new character, so that wouldn't count. But every single character that like, so the Mandalorian himself, like the, uh, the title character, 
um, and of course Carl Weathers' character and other characters. If John Favreau was credited as, as the writer and he directs, I don't know that he even has to direct that thing, just has to give the writing credit. He's kind of setting himself up there pretty good. I would say so. So this is interesting. When you watch TV shows, if the uh, showrunner or uh, one of the producers is credited as the writer, if you, this is just kind of some meta stuff, um, there's a good chance that a new character is going to be introduced during that episode. So if you're into that sort of behind the scenes, how these things work, I think that's kind of fascinating. It can get a little spoilery, though, so I'm not necessarily recommending you do that. Just a little uh, fun fact there. So that's The Mandalorian. Anything else we want to talk about? We can talk about uh, the characters a little bit more maybe next episode. In the meantime, tell us what's going on in the comic book world of Star Wars, Tim. All right, so we are going to have some conversations about the comic books as we go through, and I don't want to do a whole lot of spoiling because I really um, would love to see people getting out there and, and reading them. And Of course, we could do separate, uh, maybe you know, side shows or smaller shows or just in the comments section talk about the books specifically if we really wanted to, but uh, the, what the plan here is that we're going to take and do a little mini recap, just some ideas of what happened in the week previous um, issues. So, like, three issues just came out yesterday. Uh, the Age of Resistance Ray, The Age of Resistance Rose, and Dr. Afra number 36. Uh, those three issues I'll talk about next week. So this week I'm going to talk about what came out a week ago, and that'll give us a little bit of time to, to really have those conversations and think about them and read them once or twice and go through. Last week, only one issue came out, and that was an Age of Resistance single-shot book about Snoke. And I read it. Because of Tim, yeah, it was, and it was, it was a pretty good read. Um, it it talks about Snoke and his training of Kylo Ren. It goes into a little bit. Um, it goes into a, a familiar planet you guys would know and love. Um, spoiler, pause if you don't want to hear it. Where'd they go? They fast forward if they uh, they want to hear it. I can do that too. They go to Yoda's little hiding spot. Yeah, they're on Dagobah. They're in the Dagobah system. Um, and it, it gives some hints, and I don't want to give anything big away at the end of this. If you haven't started to read any of the comic books yet, they, they are really well done. Um, but the phrase that I'll use is early deception. Um, and, and I'd love to see in the comments what people think about that. So that's what happened last week. I, I, would, I would add to that. Go for it. The early deception is a good way to put it. This uh, this has to do with Kylo Ren's training, and I think it does add a significant amount to his character and maybe give us some better um, understanding of how things unfolded in The Last Jedi. Um, I still wish we had more background on Snoke, even after reading the comic. It know. is not a Snoke background not story. Not really, don't, yeah. don't go by it looking for that. Um, but it is, a, it is a neat little one-shot. Go. All right, we're getting long on time here, so let's. Uh, what do you got? So keep on going. So first, I'm gonna talk about next week's releases um, that are coming out next Wednesday. The Age of Resistance, Kylo Ren. There's a, a short series uh, called Jedi Fallen Order, Dark Ooh. Temple. The second issue of that is coming out, and there's another short series called Target Vader, and the third of that is coming out. And of course, we're coming into these late, so when I talk about um, these issues as they come closer, I'll talk a little bit about what's led up to them. So Target Vader, I'll talk about one, two, and three, just in a quick kind of recap. And uh, we've got a few more countdowns. So there are two big events that I'd just like to share because some people don't know about them, and there's always a Star Wars book, or there's usually a Star Wars book, unless you go and there's not. So if, there's, uh, if that's all you're going for. Um, 
There's something called Halloween Comic Fest and Free Comic Book Day. And Ooh. on each of those, you can go to your local comic book store. Uh, most that I know of uh, participate. And you know, pick up five or six free books. Uh, the way ours does is six free books per person that walks in the door. Um, and they're specific books made for that event, for that day. They say uh, Halloween Comic Fest or Free Comic Book Day on the top of them, but it's a great event. Uh, the Halloween Comic Fest uh, is October 26th. I think it's always the last Saturday before Halloween. Now, wait a minute. Is that per person? That's per person. So I should bring my children. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. I always bring my children. Nice. Um, and there are there are all ages books and, and not all ages books and everything in between. Give me some um, Spawn. Absolutely. Oh, does Image still uh, do Spawn? I have the, I have Spawn number one. I have like the first ten issues of Spawn because when uh, anyway that's another yeah, topic. I think they're there. So that's thirty seven days away, um, and then True Free Comic Book Day, which was on Star Wars Day last year, was always the first Saturday in May. <gasps> this year, it's May second. So oh. we said Star Wars Day is two hundred twenty eight days away. That makes Free Comic Book Day, 226 days away. We'll keep counting down to that. From September 19th. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. What can we expect from the future? So that pretty much wraps up today's podcast. Um, future topics, uh, it's the same stuff we've talked about. If you're interested in leaving your ideas, put, put them in the comments where, uh, wherever you find us. Right now we're on Spotify. Uh, we're looking to expand that. It should be coming up on uh, – I use CastBox because I have a Samsung – but it should also be available on iTunes. Well, now I'm using Spotify as well. Um, number of hosts should be starting to show up. Wherever you leave a comment, we'll find it. So if you have ideas about future topics, we've already talked about. I There's so much to get into. I wouldn't mind just spending time on this concept of good, bad force and Qui-Gon Jinn and how he plays into that and the Witches of Dathomir. I love the Witches of Dathomir. Um, there's so much we want to talk about. So do we want to say the actual topic for next time, or do you got other ideas for future topics? No, we can go into some more of the future topics later on, especially if we start getting some comments. I'd like to see what, Heck yeah. what is wanted out there. We so, all want to talk about. Uh, right so, now. What are we going to talk about next time, Tim? We're going to move on from Episode 4, and we're going to talk about The Empire Strikes Back. Best of the Star Wars movies, in my humble opinion. Yeah, so we're going to talk about Empire the same way we just talked about A New Hope. So it's not really a walkthrough so much as, you know, some of the highlights. And uh, there's nothing bad to say about Empire Strikes Back, is there? Nope. Well, we'll find out next time, I guess. So in the meantime, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And I'm Jim. And I'm Tim. And this is... Our Certain Point of View. Have a good day, everyone.